You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Live Free Now podcast. I'm your host, John Bush, where every show we bring you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. We are super excited to be joining you today. I want to shout out everybody that's watching us on YouTube and Facebook, and especially the folks that are watching us live on Odyssey, which is where the biggest audience happens to be. That was the YouTube right there. Uh, We have a very special guest today. As you well know, we are going to be hosting the Exit and Build Land Summit. Exit and Build Land Summit 2 coming up May 13th through the 15th. It's all about exiting the big cities where the authoritarianism, the technocracy is taking place and building homesteads and community and living a more free life in alignment with nature out in the country. And that's taking place again May 13th to the 15th. You can register for free for day one and two at exitandbuildlandsummit.com. And today we are joined by one of the featured speech speakers of that event. We're super excited to be joined by this fine gentleman. He's been known as the Duke and the bad boy of permaculture. I wonder what he thinks about those titles. Um, But he's like just old school permaculture, uh, tells it like it is, and he's got a lot of wonderful projects going on. He's a big doer, which uh, we very much are appreciative of here on the show. So without further ado, let's bring on our guest, Paul Wheaton. How are you today, Paul? I am very large. How are you? (laughs) I'm great, I'm great. Thanks for joining us. We're super excited to have you and super excited that you're going to be joining us in person at the Land Summit. So looking forward to shaking your hand. I bought my tickets. I'm on the way. I'm almost right. there. <laughs> it's going down. You're quite the character, huh? It's this... it's Austin, right? It's like near Austin. I hope. Yeah, I got just east airport. of Austin. Okay. Yeah, you'll right. go into the Austin airport. I was born and raised in Austin, but we had to get the heck out of there because the city's not what it used to be. It used to be kind of weird and hippie. Now it's just corporate and California. So we prefer the surrounding counties and the surrounding area. And we're going to show you a real good time there. In Lovely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get right down to it. So you are quite the connoisseur of permaculture and I've been uh, studying your material and super <laughs> enthused about it. And one thing that I, I notice is like, I, it's like raw permaculture, like the real deal, not like fashionable permaculture or permaculture as a fad or anything. It's it's really the the essence and, and the radical roots of permaculture. So maybe you could start by introducing yourself and sharing how you learned about permaculture and why you think it's so important. Well, I, I don't know uh, what the different kinds of permaculture are that you were talking about. I, I do know that a lot of people that get started in permaculture, they love the herb spiral. And I'm, I'm not into the herb spiral. But there are many schools of thought under the permaculture umbrella. I I like to think I'm a powerful advocate for the many schools of thought under the permaculture umbrella. Uh, So I think that there is a history in permaculture where there was um, a lot of unkindness inside the permaculture community. And I I hope that we've resolved a lot of that so we can improve our overall forward velocity. Um, As far as me, I... I, uh, I try to encourage the many schools of thought, but at the same time, I have my school of thought, which can be a little different. And um, where you are, it's a warmer climate. 
And so the works of Jeff Lawton are probably a better fit than mine. I'm in Montana, so it's a little colder here. And uh, Jeff Lawton's techniques tend to have a lot of swales. And my techniques tend to have a lot of hugel culture. Um, and then I'm doing a lot of work with natural building as well. Um, I've got my own design that I call a wafati. I've got my own design for poop management. Instead of referring to this material as a waste or putting it in a toilet or composting it away into nothingness, I have a, a system that I call a willow feeder. So we're going to take that material and feed it to a plant that really enjoys it after aging it for two years to make sure it's free of pathogens. Um, I've got oh, my own horticultural ideas, my own um, stuff about community, uh, which, of course, your conference is going to be focusing a lot on that. And um, I don't know. I've written books. I have my second book. It's supposed to big truckloads of books are going to arrive in like a week. I'm going to be flooded with a with my second book. Um, the first book has done very well, and uh, um, we've sold lots of that. I've produced movies. I've put out uh, whole workshops as video. I have the permaculture playing cards. I don't know. I've made stuff. Um, and then, of course, I think the thing that's the most important to me right now is I want to get more people to come here to my place and be part of what we call the permaculture boot camp. Uh, where people can come for a week or a couple of weeks, or if they stay for a couple of years, I'll give them an acre of land. So um, does this help paint a picture? Is this the kind of thing you're wanting me to talk about? Yep, you're doing great. Um, well, let us know, how did you learn about permaculture? And then how would you define permaculture for someone that's never heard of the term before? I think for every permie you ask, what is permaculture, you get a different answer. And uh, my answer is, Permaculture is a more symbiotic relationship with nature so that I can be even lazier. Um, how did I hear about permaculture? Uh, I know that that was in 2001. So in, in the mid-90s, I was bonkers about gardening. And I grew, I, I, I kept going to a new property that was bigger and bigger and bigger. And then uh, in 2001, I was on 80 acres and I was doing all these gardening experiments that I thought, no one had ever thought of. And uh, some guy came along and said, oh, that is permaculture. What? So I uh, got the books and uh, sure enough, I'm not inventing anything. It's already been invented. And uh, so there's all this stuff. I became very keen on it. So uh, that's that's where I got, I got started somewhere around 2004. I got the idea that uh, to drop my career as a software engineer and um, try to push permaculture forward, to not only move it forward for myself, but to um, move it forward for millions of others. And I think at this point, I've reached more than 200 million people. Wow. Well, that's impressive. I appreciate what you're saying about how it's just like the, the, the goal is to, to be more lazy, right? Because when you're doing the row crops or especially monocropping, like all of the money and all of the chemicals that go into pulling that off, it just seems to be unnecessary. So it's more of a laid back uh, in alignment way of doing things. Let me ask you this. There's three permaculture principles, right? There's uh, care of the earth, care of people. And then this third one seems to have gotten shifted up quite a bit. I'm, I'm good friends with Jack Spierko and he's a big permaculture guy as well. <laughs> 
And he really rails on how it's not fair share. It's not about redistribution. It's not about taxation. It's about returning the surplus in, in just about every area of life. Can you kind of riff on that if you have your own thoughts or insights right, so, on that? So this, this is the one spot where Jack and I have a little sensitivity and, uh, and sure enough, you had to, you said a poke. Get your stick and poke it. <laughs> ah, ah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. <clears throat> so Jack believes that you have the three ethics because this is what the, this is not the principles. These are the three ethics. And um, you have the three ethics. And as long as you hold on to these three ethics, that you can create your techniques and, and then everything goes good from there. And um, so I, I manage these forums. I've been managing these forums um, for more than a decade uh, at permies.com. And, um, and we're trying to get things to move forward in the world of permaculture. And we've seen a lot of people do very unethical things and then um, demand that others validate how ethical their unethical behavior is in the, in the name of the three ethics, specifically the third ethic. And, um, and it's like, so I just, I see the ethics being used as a weapon. And um, further, I kind of feel like I, I did an amazing podcast with Toby Hemingway before he died, and uh, in which I explored the idea. So Toby Hemingway is the author of Gaia's Garden. And I explored the idea of um, would the people at Monsanto, would, would they would they embrace the three ethics and use the three ethics to validate what they're doing? And, and Toby agreed with me. Yes. Yes, they would. And, uh, and I think Jack would say, no, it's not possible. But I think my, my interpretation of Jack's interpretation, which Jack gets upset about if I say it out loud, and I'm going to say it out loud because you foolishly poked your stick <laughs> into the bear. That is, the three ethics do work the way Jack says, provided Jack standing right there yelling at you, telling you that you have you have come to the wrong conclusion and that you're interpreting it wrong. Then then they work fine. But if Jack's not there, I kind of think that the the results are it depends. It depends on really on the ethics that were already there within that individual. And what their values are, and then they'll they'll build upon the three ethics in the way that they've always built whatever. Only now they're doing it in the name of the three ethics. That's that's my observation of what I've seen. I'm I prefer a more Holzerian approach. So I always refer to this approach as the Holmgrenian approach. You um, you get the three ethics, and then you uh, get the techniques from that, and uh, and that makes everything awesome. And then I, I prefer the, the Holzerian approach where, you, where he gives you a list of techniques and you follow these techniques. And then it just so happens to be that you kind of end up with the ethics. And so what you've done is ethical. What you've done is, is this thing that, uh, that, that, that Holmgren was asking for. Whereas I kind of feel like... Um, I kind of feel like a, a person has to be trained in the ethics to be able to get the results that Jack wants people to see. Okay. Well, Jack will be at the event, so maybe we'll we'll poke the poke two bears while we're oh, there. Oh yeah. Bring it on, baby. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I think uh, someone says just dropped in. Can anyone share the three ethics? Well, you want to lay them out there one more time there for us. So there's going to be earth care, people care. And the third one changes a bit depending on who you ask. I think my favorite one right now that I've heard and permaculture magazine puts this on the cover of every magazine now is future care. Um, it started off, the third ethic started off as something about uh, control of uh, population growth and stuff like that. Um, and then uh, and then David Holmgren came out with something that he rhymed, fair share. Uh, but it's like, what does that mean? And, and, and that's where we've kind of gotten into some trouble. Different people interpreting that in a way that's convenient to them. Uh, and uh, I like future care. I like, so we got earth care, people care and future care. I like that. I like that. Um, you know, at the end of the day too, I think a lot of people get caught up and I'm the one that brought the question up, but a lot of people get caught up in the nuance of this and what does this mean? And you're not doing same thing. Like I'm a big libertarian guy and everyone's like, this needs to be interpreted this way. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really make much of a difference. The important thing is just to go out there and do stuff and figure it out as you go instead of getting lost in all, all the stuff. All right. Um, moving on. So, you are really focused on avoiding toxins in life. And, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the carcinogens, you know, DEET, uh, BPA and all sorts of stuff, right? Uh, cigarettes and nicotine. But there happens to be quite a few things that are problematic and toxic that most people aren't aware of. Can you kind of talk about your philosophy when it comes to toxins, avoiding toxins and, and why that's important? I like the idea that um, I'm, I'm going to, I choose to pretend, I choose to pretend that 1 million people will never experience carb, uh, cancer and they would have experienced cancer without following something that I've said. And now they'll just, they'll just never know it. So, um, I have this crazy theory about cancer <clears throat> and, and it's like, I'm not a doctor. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people that'll think that, you know, I shouldn't say these things, but I believe cancer comes from carcinogens. And, and I, uh, I think it's Joel Salatin who has this theory that most Americans believe that cancer comes from the cancer fairy. The cancer fairy floats around and randomly picks something. Ding, you get cancer. Do, 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 do. Ding, you get cancer too. And that's how it works. My theory is, is that it comes from carcinogens. And, and even beyond that, it comes from carcinogens that we know about and from carcinogens we do not yet know about. And so it's kind of like, oh, we found out that this stuff was, make, was giving people cancer. So what we did was, is we took it off the shelves, we tweaked the recipe a little bit and put it back out. It'll be at least 20 years until they figure out this causes cancer even more. So we're trying to find ways to do things. So here at my place, it's all about experimenting. We have all kinds of experiments going all the time. We're trying to find ways to do things that don't use stuff that has carcinogens or might have carcinogens. We're, we're really working hard on trying to, like for example, for natural building, um, we are, uh, uh, Making buildings that have less than 1% of the plastic, less than 1% of the paint, have uh, zero cement and, uh, and a variety of other things where we're trying to do, get it to do, get it to be 
better. And, uh, and we're having some success. We're having some pretty good success. Uh, I think another one is, is like, uh, one of the things like the whole, this whole path that I'm on started because I, I used to love to fish. And then I, I, I heard something about how, oh, don't eat the fish. They got the mercury in it now. They didn't used to have the mercury, but now they do. And I said, oh, no, no, no. The fish I get, I, I mean, like I spend a day hiking into the wilderness and then I go fishing. So that stuff is untouched. I'm so high up in the mountains. There's no way any mercury got there. Oh, yeah, the mercury got there, too, because what it is, it goes up into the atmosphere and it falls down on everything. And it's kind of like, uh, damn. And so I started kind of thinking like, well, I that, that seems so wrong and I don't want that. What do I do? And so I started down this crazy path of doing all kinds of different things. And uh, rocket mass heaters are now an enormous part of my life where I think that this is the number one thing to reduce our energy footprint so that there's less coal stuff going up into the atmosphere. Um, uh, I, yeah, I could, I could easily speak for about 12 to 15 hours about rocket mass heaters, but I suspect you don't want me to do that. <laughs> No, go right ahead. Tell because I know you've done a lot of work, and there's like documentaries and stuff. Why is this important, and how simple is something like this to make? Um, I've seen a lot of rocket mass heaters built in a day, and um, uh, for about two hundred bucks worth of materials, and uh, um, uh, I've seen people save three thousand dollars a year by switching over to just one rocket mass heater. I mean. Uh, the, the thing that I think a lot of people have trouble with, I mean, it's a wood-burning thing. It's a wood-burning contraption. Well, look, somebody loves my book. <laughs> oh, and they want to build a rocket mass heater. Neat. I shouldn't read that. Oh, that'll, that's distracting. Okay. So uh, uh, the, the thing is, is that uh, could be built. Oh, the thing that people have a hard time believing or understanding is that you, if you use a conventional wood stove with a rocket mass heater, you can heat your home with one-tenth the wood. And a lot of people just believe this can't believe that. They can't get their head wrapped around it. And so the, the key is, is with the rocket mass heater, first of all, if you've got a, a wood stove that's 75% efficient, they kind of believe, well, that leaves only 25%. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. It's far more complicated than that. You can run your 75% efficient wood stove at 3% efficiency. And that's where we gain most of our stuff because a rocket mass heater typically runs at 93% efficiency. And instead of the conventional wood stove, which has uh, a chimney temperature of uh, 350 to 600 degrees, a rocket mass heater typically has a chimney temperature of 120 to 160 degrees. We're keeping more heat indoors. Um, <clears throat> plus, we run it at 93% every burn as opposed to that 75% of uh, efficiency, 75% efficiency, conventional wood stove, which can be operated at 3% efficiency and often is. People who put a log on at night with the dampers all turned down, the log might be a little damp. That's typically at 3% efficiency. And then uh, I could I could go on and on and on. But the idea is, is that it's like you heat with so little wood that you most of the people that operate these are just using the branches and twigs that naturally fall off the trees in their yard. They don't even have to fire up their four-wheel drive pickup truck and, uh, and go out into the wilderness to go get, you know, 12 cord of wood. 
Yeah. And when it comes to energy reduction, too, you want to reduce the energy output of the human being as well. And so picking up the twigs and stuff, I saw you have a whole chapter in your uh, your ebook about what to do with twigs. I do want to share your assistant. Your assistant, Ashley, hooked us up with a bunch of free links to the audio book and the ebook of your new uh, book, which I love the title, Building a Better World in Your Backyard Instead of Being Angry at Bad Guys, which a lot of people, speaking of expending energy, a lot of people expend a whole lot of energy just, oh, the Democrats, the Republicans, the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and meanwhile, they're like totally dependent on the grocery store and not energy efficient whatsoever in their lifestyle. So let me drop some of these links real quick in the chat. I want to, I guess, some of the Odyssey audience joined us on YouTube. The Odyssey stream didn't fire up, unfortunately. That's like a blockchain, uncensorable alternative to YouTube. But okay. those folks joined us over here. I posted in the comment. But whoever takes this link and registers at, at the Permies website first will get the free audiobook. That was the free audiobook file. I'm also going to drop the uh, ebook e file, which is an EPUB file. So we have to download an audiobook viewer or an ebook viewer, but there's plenty of them for free. I just did it earlier, and the book is absolutely fantastic. I'm, I look forward to diving deeper in it. But I'm going to be dropping these links throughout the show, and it's a contest. Whoever grabs the link first and then goes to the site, you'll be able to download the audiobook or the ebook. And if you if you're too late, it'll say that the link has already been used. So. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about this book? Because it's also for sale on your website as well. It's building a better world in your backyard instead of being angry at the bad guys. Uh, in fact, I should say that uh, we have a special deal going on right now, but it, it's kind of hidden. I don't know if people will be able to find it, um, but they can get 24 physical. We have a guy, we call him the benefactor, and he basically just subsidized 24 books, buying 24 books at a time uh, for this crazy cheap price now. It's like you know, like cost. And so anyway, um, that's, that's happening now because it's like, anyway, that's another story from there. My book, I wrote a book. That's my first book. Uh, uh, I'd say that, uh, I, you know what? Being angry at bad guys, we got to have some people doing that. That's a good idea. And that's a great thing. Please keep on doing that. Be angry at the bad guys. But this is, this is about, Stuff you could do instead of being angry at the bad guys. And I gotta say that if you uh, if you follow permaculture and homesteading, and you uh, you live a little ways out of town, suddenly all that political stuff and all those bad guys become really small and far away. And and it's like it's it's not that big of a deal. But uh, we start the book off by listing three global problems. We're gonna try and and address these three global problems throughout the book. Uh, we start off with uh, uh, stuff anybody can do, um, like it, it has to do with your finances. Like we've got a pretty good, pretty big chapter on uh, deviant financial strategies. <clears throat> and then we go into stuff that uh, is kind of like for apartment dwellers, you know, so kind of anybody, but in a different way, things you can do in your home. And, uh, and then the next part of the book is going to be for people with a backyard. So you can go and plant a little garden. Um, there's all this debate about which, which is better for the world um, and uh, uh, veganism or omnivore with paddock shift systems and things like that. And in a way, we, we address it lightly, but really the solution is grow a garden. And uh, in fact, everything in the book 
everything, every last thing. And so those of you that have read the book, you can verify this for me in the chat thing there. Everything in the book is about adding luxury to your life because so often it's like, oh, I'm going to do things to help out my fellow human beings. And it involves sacrifice. Everything in the book is about adding luxury to your life and or adding coin to your pocket. And so everything is about making your life better. And it happens to be something that also helps out the more global picture. Um, another aspect of it is, is like, if, if, if I kind of, I kind of feel like in the world of politics, there's a lot of stuff about carbon footprint. And I got to say, I, I have no idea about that stuff. I'm not, I have never gone out to measure carbon. It's not like you can, you can point at it. Look, there it goes. I see it. It's hiding behind that tree. You can't do that. It's, it, it's, it's not like that. It's like, it's coming for the children. I get your gun. Shoot it. <laughs> it's nothing like that. Now I, I suspect that those scientists that are going on about it, they're probably right. And I don't know. And I don't even get involved in that. But what I do get involved in is when people start saying, you know, the best way to fight the carbon off is to get the light bulbs. And it's like, no, no, that doesn't do shit. That's crap. That's weak. The thing, you know, so it's like that's that's what drives me kind of crazy about the argument is it's like, no, there's stuff that can make a, if you really care about this, do the stuff that makes a real difference. And then they're going on about being a vegan. And it's like, that doesn't really do much. You know what would really do something is grow a garden. I mean, think about it. If, if all, the, all the carbon footprint stuff that's all tied up and growing that food and transporting it, all the fertilizers and things. But if you just grow it in your garden, you've eliminated all of that, whether it is coming from a vegan source or a non-vegan source. So I got to say... I, I, um, all right. You asked me about what all's in my book and, and I, and the final bit is about a homestead. And, and I gotta say, I think that the book pushes for in the end, the best thing to do for yourself and for global concerns is permaculture and homesteading. Have a few acres. I love it. I appreciate what you say about carbon because myself and a lot of my audience comes from this conspiratorial view of history, um, you know, and there's a lot of really the bad guys you referenced in my view are a lot of these oligarchs and a lot of the folks at the United Nations that are doing some pretty yucky stuff, although they purport to be doing, you know, like their God's gift on earth. But it's like the Rockefeller Foundation, which is all tied up with the United Nations. They're behind a lot of this carbon footprint and carbon tax and cap and trade kind of schemes. They're also the ones through their Rockefeller Foundation that created the whole green revolution, which brought us monocropping, which arguably has been one of the most detrimental things to happen to civilization in general. So it just goes back to which I like, you know, earlier I was talking about you're just like raw permaculture. It's just like so practical, common sense. We don't need to hash this out or follow this science or consensus this or that. It's like. Just plant a freaking garden and you're doing the best thing you could do. I, I agree. The garden is the best thing. I mean, you can grow more calories per acre from a garden than you can from any kind of monocrop system. And I and I need to say a thing because you kind of you, you almost touched something there, the Green Revolution. And it's kind of like um, so right now there's a lot of people 
I would guess 80% of the people in my community and maybe 80% of the people in your community, they are still utterly convinced that with without um, chemical-based fertilizers that we cannot feed the world. That's been proven false over and over and over again. If nothing else, look at the work of Masanobu Fukuoka. His, his rice crop alone produces uh, in the top 5% for the average, uh, for, for acreage in Japan growing rice. And it's like, and he uses no fertilizers whatsoever, none. And off of the exact same acreage, he grows a crop of barley. And so it's kind of like he is effectively getting double crop off the same acres compared to those people that are that are growing uh, with with chemical based fertilizers. So <clears throat> this has been proved false over and over and over again. But our own people keep repeating this false message of, well, we can't feed the population if if we don't use this 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 toxic kick. And it's like, that's, that's, please stop saying that. It's not true. It's, it's been proven. All right. <clears throat> Do it for yourself. Grow your own garden. Find out on your own. Yep. Yep. It's a scam. And you're right. Just experience is the greatest teacher. So, but, it, you know, it's kind of a challenge. Like maybe, maybe I just haven't been doing it the right way. Cause we, me and my fiance bought a 10 acre homestead outside <laughs> in Bastrop County. And uh, we got the garden beds going and we want to do permaculture, food forest kind of stuff, berms and swales. There's a nice creek bed that goes through the property. But, you know, the challenge is, and I need to dive deeper into your book and your whole philosophy behind it, because time is so limited because I got this business. We got this event coming up. And I always feel like this this struggle, this internal strife, because here I am preaching to everyone like permaculture is the answer. Grow the food, become food self-sufficient. But meanwhile, like we got our garden beds set up and then they got decimated in the winter and we haven't even planted again for spring. Now we got some starter plants. I know you have a problem with starter plants too, but uh, where would you say just like for folks like me that eat, they're super busy, they got kids, they got taken to school, whatever, full-time job and they're struggling, but they want to, they know it's the right thing to do. What's just some simple basic stuff to start with? I know you're a fan of tomatoes too, or everyone's a fan of tomatoes. They're the easiest to go. But what, how would you how would you start to kind of get people's feet wet? Okay, I I gotta start by saying now, now of course I got my master gardener thing a few decades ago, and uh, and recently I I hosted a garden master course. It's like all the all the stuff from the master gardener course, but without the leash from Monsanto, and so gotta you know can go free. That was great. Okay, but. <clears throat> I don't know about down in Texas how easy it is to grow an apple tree because uh, I know apple trees need to have some cold. <clears throat> now, uh, up here in Montana and in the colder climates, I'm sure everybody in, a co in the colder climates has seen an apple tree that, that nobody cares for. Nobody's doing anything with it. And yet it just puts out like, like hundreds of pounds of apples every year no matter what happens, it's 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 absolutely uncared for, and yet there's food. Now, I what I want is I want to make a permaculture system with a buffet of different foods that's like that apple tree. You don't take care of it, but it pumps out food. Now, if you do take care of it, 
it'll give you twice as much food. But if you don't do anything at all, food just keeps coming out. And this is kind of like what you were describing. Kind of like, <clears throat> well, garden takes, you know, work. And and it's like, if you do it the conventional way, it does. And in, in my book, the Building Better World book, the biggest chapter is the chapter on gardening. But I kind of feel like I don't want to get too carried away with gardening because I can. And uh, uh, but but this chapter basically says, let's come up with a system where you can grow uh, twice as much food with one tenth the effort. And, uh, and and the thing, of course, that I advocate is hugel culture, which is uh, soil on wood stacked about seven feet tall. So you're adding a lot of texture to your landscape for a lot of different reasons. It, it does a lot of things for you. <clears throat> and then the uh, then the next thing is is like uh, let's plant a lot of stuff that'll be perennial. And so I think in Texas also. Can you guys, you guys do a good job growing sunchokes, I believe. So it's the highest calorie crop per acre that's known is sunchokes. They're perennial and uh, they seem to love abuse. Now, um, you know, I wouldn't make my entire diet be sunchokes. Uh, soon in the comments, you'll see the reason why. <laughs> it comes, it comes with a comedy package. <laughs> But there are foods that, uh, like annuals, that will reseed themselves. I'm sure everybody who's done any gardening at all has seen a volunteer tomato. So they grew some tomatoes, and then the next year they didn't plant tomatoes, but there's seven of them growing out in their garden. Where did they come from? Well, a, tom a rotten tomato fell on the ground, and uh, it, it made it through the winter, and then it germinated in the spring, and it took off, and now it's pumping out a whole bunch of tomatoes and never planted a tomato plant. Um, so there's there's that. So then annuals that can reseed themselves. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could develop a variety of tomato or most of the food crops we enjoy that uh, really does that volunteer thing well, so well that we start to, to complain about what an invasive species it is. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Then... You could be the laziest gardener ever. You just pitch a couple seeds out there and it takes over. And then you've got all this food on your 10 acres and you can't, you can't even get it to go away. And it's, <laughs> it's invading your neighbors. And then they hate you and love you at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's, that's the kind of invasion we need in this world. It uh, looks like we're finally streaming live to Odyssey. So we got 96 people watching on Odyssey. We have 114 here on YouTube and some stragglers there on Facebook. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, we're going to shift gears and talk about community. I understand you have a new book that you're working on. The title's Permaculture Thorns, a book about trying to build permaculture community. Uh, it's currently in draft form. So that's really what this event is all about. We're going to talk about homesteading. We're going to talk about off-grid technology. We're going to talk about food production systems. But really the big idea is in order to find more freedom individually, but also in order to create more freedom collectively and in alignment with that third ethic, how can we create lasting freedom that the future generations can enjoy. So there's not always this struggle and this tension and these wars and all this terrible, terrible things in the world. I think I strongly believe that intentional community is the way uh, forward with that path. So maybe you could talk about what you're doing at Wheaton Labs. I know you'll have like the <laughs> ant lab and you have folks that are living there and there's like long term renting and people can be a permanent fixture on the community. Uh, what's that all about? And then 
you don't have to mix it in now, but I definitely want to talk about conflict because you you bring it up in your book how like, yeah, we should all live together. It's cheaper. It's easier. It's better for the environment. But uh, the biggest thing to worry about is there's always those personality conflicts. So let's talk a bit about community. Okay. So the book I wrote, Permaculture Thorns, um, it isn't a book that I wrote because, I mean, I, I was sure no one would ever want to read it. But I it was more like I wrote it because I, I had things I had to say. And so I wrote all the stuff I had to say and put it into the book. And it's out there as a draft form. And I thought, ah, one of these days I should turn it into a real book. And uh, but then we had a, a Kickstarter and I said, hey, if we get this much money in our Kickstarter, I'll, I'll give everybody at this dollar level a, a draft copy of this book I was working on. And uh, so then they got it. <clears throat> then, and I have been shocked at how many people have actually read it. And, uh, I, and, and not only that, but when people come here and they have questions about things, they want to talk about permaculture thorns more than rocket mass heaters, more than build a better world, more than anything else. I, I have people that are just aching to tie, talk about permaculture thorns. So the thing is, is that I think everybody, well, I'm not going to say everybody. I think many of us are convinced living in community would be awesome. The upsides are just phenomenal. It's like live in far greater luxury for less than half the price. And, uh, and then you've got like these cool people you're hanging out with all the time. And of course, there's a reason why we don't do it. And, and the reason is, is the drama is just nuts. <laughs> it's, it's just, so it's like, okay, how do we turn up the volume knob on the benefits? And then we grab hold of the knob about drama and turn that down to like from a nine to a 0 0.5, <laughs> you know, how, how do we do that? And um, Permaculture Thorns is not a book about how to make community. It's about how I am trying to figure this out. Um, and I think later there'll be another book where it's like, you know, hopefully, look, I, I figured it out. Now, I, I can say that most intentional community, uh, when they um, uh, get together and they try to get things to work out, they, they, uh, the, the old model was consensus. There's new ideas coming around, and they're not a hell of a lot better. But, but basically, the consensus model is a simple one. And that is the idea uh, that if, if decisions were made within the community using democracy, then it would be tyranny of the majority over the minority. So the, the minority <clears throat> would have to just be trampled on. And then, uh, so then, then the idea with consensus is, is that we're only going to change what we have if everybody agrees to make the change. And, uh, uh, that means that if there's one person that says no, then we don't do the change. Now what you have is tyranny of the minority over the majority. <laughs> and uh, uh, so then this, these consensus-based systems end up being something where um, the decision-making process can last for months or years or even decades for some simple decision because people just can't all agree. So um, I, I pride living in community where it was a consensus based. Uh, I have a lot of philosophies about that. And then uh, I, I basically came to the conclusion of like, you know, there's a lot of 
systems that that are working, and I want to try something that's that's closer to that. And um, and the systems that are working, for example, in old folks' homes. And so here's here you might have a hundred people all living together, and the drama factor is pretty low. I mean, there's drama, but it's not like they're sitting around all day arguing about whether or not to get a different kind of milk, and uh, or anything like that. Um, and then uh, uh, there's also going to be uh, uh, other things like uh, I once recorded some podcasts with a guy that lived in a monastery for a long time, and uh, his his position was fascinating. So, uh, and then there's going to be just business. Uh, uh, in a lot of businesses, there's drama, and yet not the kind of drama that you see in an intentional community. So why is that? What's the difference? How do you how do you do better than business? And then, uh, so you asked about conflict management. So at the end of my software engineering career, I was doing very well, and I was called in to kind of, I, I loved the last big place I worked at. They said, uh, I said, well, what is it you want me to do? And it's like, well, we just kind of need you to come and do what you do. And we don't know how to describe it better than that. <laughs> it's like, okay, great. So what I would do, is mostly get a bunch of engineers to start traveling the same path. I believe that conflict with engineers, as well as with all other people, all conflict comes from a difference of knowledge set. And so if one engineer has all this information in their head, and then they're asked to solve a problem using this information set, they're going to come up with solution X. And this other engineer has a completely different knowledge set and they're presented with the same problem. They're going to come up with solution Y. And then these two guys need to get it all sorted out on what to do. And they're going to disagree. There'll be conflict. And then we need to try and find out which way we're going. How do we resolve this conflict? And, and, and the basis of this is kind of the basis of how I do all my permaculture stuff with the idea that I want all these people out here that think permaculture is stupid to believe permaculture is awesome. And if I just say permaculture is awesome, they're not going to believe it. But if I start taking a little piece of permaculture and give it a candy wrapping and send it out, and they're like, mm, yummy, I like that thing. And then I say, permaculture. And then, and then I give them like a hundred like that. Then after a while, they start to think, you know, I think I like permaculture. But in the end, they start to kind of come to the same conclusions I come to. Not because I told them to, but because their knowledge set is now closer to my knowledge set. And so then what happens if I have a community of people a whole bunch of people all living under one roof and they have a similar knowledge set without it it's like the mission is how do you get 20 people to live under one roof without stabbing each other and then it's like but if they all have the same basic knowledge set they tend to not be nearly as stabby and that's the thing how do you bring people together and turn the volume knob on the drama way down and i think this is one of the core pieces and the whole book Permaculture Thorns is an attempt to try to explore a variety of pieces to help get that drama knob turned down 
to near zero. I can appreciate that. And one thing that came to mind is like, if everyone has the same knowledge base, for example, of nonviolent communication, which is methodology <laughs> for what? What do you, what, you don't like NBC? No, no, no. I, I, uh, I got to see Diana Leaf Christian. Uh -huh. She's speaking at the event also. Oh, she's wonderful. Go to yeah. her thing. Uh, she is always great. But I got to be at this event once where Diana Leaf Christian was there and an NBC teacher. And, and, and it's like they, they did this little bit where they talked about something using NBC. But it was the most violent conversation you've ever seen. It was hilarious. Uh, and, and it's so often what I see is people are like, they're kind of like, uh, you can't speak because you – you haven't been trained in NBC, so therefore yeah. my words trump your words, which isn't that a, in itself an act of hostility. Sure. And it's kind of like, so no, I, I just, so when you say <laughs> get trained in NBC, I'm kind of thinking like, oh, that's hilarious, man. It's like, uh, no. Well, it can be weaponized, like you said about the ethics. Somebody could be like, well, you're not doing the ethics this way, therefore you're wrong. They can say, well, you didn't say your statement this way, and the feelings need to go here with the needs, and you're wrong, and that's bad. Yeah, I, 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 I've also written a book that, that no one remembers, <laughs> and it's also available in draft form uh, that's called <laughs> Fallacy. And I, I honestly believe that if, if we could study fallacy first, that would be, that would be more important. Sure. Um, but true. No, I, I, think, I think NVC is great if you want to hear other people and, and you want to try to have your words reach people that it wasn't reaching before, NBC is good for that. Okay. Okay, now uh, let's talk about Wheaton Labs and you guys, guys got living there. Now, I'm not intimately familiar with y'all's structure there, but from what I gather, just from an outside perspective, it's you're the one that owns the property or it's your business. And it, this is how we wanted to do our first property because my fiance and I want to do an intentional community. We got this 10 acres and we're going to do community there but for this property, partly because it's 10 acres, we can't subdivide it really. Um, this George Bush quote, George W. Bush, for if folks remember him, he said, uh, he said, it'd be a heck of a lot easier if it was a dictatorship, just as long as I'm the dictator. <laughs> and so with the first property that we're purchasing, like I, I specifically wanted to be more in control so as to avoid the drama. If somebody's there and they're living there and they're just all of a sudden stirring up a storm, then we can give them the boot. The next property we do, I want it to be a little more experimental and a little more egalitarian with like a private ownership and a commons uh, synergy. But is, is that, is, does the buck stop with you at Wheaton Labs and, and what's that like? And it's a rental situation. Can you talk about the structure you have and how that's working for you? So I, I like I like your quote about the dictatorship, although that guy was silly, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, wasn't he the he was guy terrible. struggling to spell tomato or something? But uh, or potato it was potato. No, that was that was quail. I can't remember. Anyway, that guy was silly. Although yeah. that's isn't that the guy that gave us that awesome word scientifical? <laughs> <laughs> they were called butchisms. He gave us all I, sorts of funny stuff. I love that word. <laughs> we're going to do it in a way that's scientifical. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's a great word. Okay. <laughs> So he gave me license to make up words whenever I want. I, that's, right. uh, he's the best. But 
Uh, the thing is, is it's kind of like, so for a while I lived at a community that, uh, that was a central leader, a dictatorship. And, um, and it was a mess. And it's because I learned that I did not, I did not agree with the values of this dictator. And I could, I don't want to go into the, the, the 12 hours of the stuff I have to say about that relationship. But I kind of felt like the thing to do was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to buy land and I'll be the dictator. And it's like, but why would anybody want to come and, and be part of a dictator, dictatorship? And it's like, well, first of all, they need to learn my values. So I started recording a podcast. Now I've got like 600 podcasts out there. And so then people can like get an idea of what I'm made out of. And I mean, of course, Permaculture Thorns helps. Building a Better World helps. The new Skip Book helps. All these things, all these things I've been putting out for years helps people to understand uh, what I'm made of. And so then they can understand. And, and it's like either party can terminate this relationship at any time. So if you come onto my land, you can split whenever you want. And I can ask you to leave whenever I want. And so then you've got to get an idea of like, yeah, but I don't want to come do permaculture, like 20 years of permaculture only to get the boot. Mm. And it's kind of like, all right, then you need to get an idea of what I might boot you out for. And so you might want to listen to a few of my podcasts, maybe read my books, uh, things like that to understand. Because when I went to that community before, and I'm just a member of the community, then I ended up choosing to leave. And so I, I feel like I wasted a year of my life being there. And other people, I mean, for permaculture people and for the kinds of things we're trying to do and the values that we want, we don't want to go someplace and leave. We wanted to go someplace and have it be our last place. We want to put down really deep roots and do amazing permaculture stuff. And if we're going to make a shed, we want to enjoy the value of our handmade shed for the next 25 years. We don't want to just walk away a year later. <clears throat> so um, you need to know who is your dictator. Now, I kind of feel like the thing I'm shooting for is, is that someday there'll be 100,000 properties all across the United States, each with a little dictator on it. And if you don't want to go, go buy your own damn property and start your <laughs> own damn thing. But maybe out of this 100,000, there's somebody who you think is cool based on your values. And, and by living in community, it's like a tiny fraction of the cost and double the luxury. And it's kind of like, that sounds sweet. Now, the whole reason why I'm even exploring this space at all is because where I used to be, I was on 80 acres. I was telling you about that 80 acres earlier. <clears throat> and I, I became, uh, once I heard the word permaculture, I became absolutely enamored with the work of Sepp Holzer. And I realized that on that 80 acres, the most I would ever be able to accomplish is 0.8 SEP units. So like while I'm watching all this awesome movie stuff, he has this three-in-one movie set that's amazing. The most I'll be able to accomplish is 80% of what he's accomplished in that movie. And he ain't even dead yet. And it's like, but what's in my head is three SEP units. And... And I'm kind of thinking, like, I want to do three SEP units. I don't want to do just 0 0.8 SEP units. And it's like, so how am I going to pull this off? And and one thought is, is like, you know, I could hire people or something. And it's like, yeah, then the best I could do is 1.2 SEP units. The best. What I need is to be with other people 
that are as passionate about all this stuff as I am. Only they might be slightly like into different things. So this one's into cattle, and that one's into hogs, and this one's into uh, big crops, and and this other one's into honeybees or whatever. All these different things, and that I'm living in a community with these experts. And and now, and, and by the way, now I have eight SEP units of stuff in my noggin that I want to accomplish. And so it's like definitely need people to do this. So part of it is, is like you go out onto a piece of land and it's like, there's only so much you can do by yourself. But if you're in community, you might be able to do five or 10 times more cool stuff. If the people in your community are cool people. And it's like, and when I say if they're cool people, I'm sure you've, you've met some of the people that are on the other side of that fence. Yep. <laughs> yep. Cool people getting together, doing cool things. That's really what it's all about. Uh, you know, one thing I appreciate, and this is good advice for folks that want to do a community, is to be vocal about it. Like you said, when people come into your sphere of influence or come to have a space on your property, they most of them already have a good understanding of what you're all about, what the expectations are, what could get them the boot, like you said. And so for folks that want to do a community on their property or they want to invite people uh, or they want to find people to buy a property with, go ahead and just be vocal about it. Put it out to the world, share your vision with the world, and you'll automatically attract like-minded people that share that vision as well. So uh, real quick, I want to talk about the permaculture boot camp, the thing that okay. we do here. Uh, right now, I'm feeling like, man, this is the best thing. This has worked out so good. And so um, <clears throat> uh, the people that are here right now, uh, every morning is gardening. And every afternoon is natural building and homesteading. And so it gets changed up every day. So there's lots of variety. And uh, each person gets their own garden patch. And uh, we teach them about gardening and we give them the seeds and we, we guide them, but they have their own patch. Uh, and then um, uh, we get a lot of people where they got like a week off from work, a week of vacation. So they come out for a week. Uh, we've got other people that I don't know how they work it out in their lives, but they're like, I'm so done with all of this rat race stuff. And they show up and they're like, I'll be here for at least a few weeks. We'll see how it goes. And uh, a lot of times those people stick around for months or even years. Uh, we've had people that have uh, hit the two-year mark and we give them their acre of land and now they're doing their own thing. But part of it is, is that during that two years, a lot of those people show up and they've never gardened. They've never built anything. They've never held a drill. They've never held a hammer. And uh, by the end of the two years, they're all set to build their own structure and their own gardens. In fact, after being here for one month, we give everybody their own acre to play with in case, you know, they want to do some stuff on the side. And then that might end up being their acre at the end of the two years. And so they already give themselves a head start. Um, so I think that the, the, the idea of the permaculture boot camp is, is learn permaculture through a little hard work. And uh, I, I really feel like this has been the best because the people that might not, that, that are on the cool side of the fence, they hear boot camp. They're like, I'm cool with that. And the people that are on the other side of the fence, they hear the word boot camp. And they, they think, what? Slave labor? I'm not going to be a slave. And so they don't come. And so it's like, all right, that worked out great for everybody. I get weeded out. Yeah, experience is the greatest teacher. So the boot camp, you guys are doing those regularly. People can, the public can join. And, and where do they learn about that? 
uh, at, there's a website that's uh, wheaton-labs.com. And um, uh, there's a page on there somewhere about the boot camp. And um, that's the main page for the boot camp. Uh, people fork over a hundred bucks and then we get them processed. I'm like, well, you know, here's our next dates for, for boots to arrive. Oh, look, somebody put the, the link in there. And that so, oh, that was you. Oh, good, good. And uh, so <clears throat> um, there's all kinds of um, uh, people showing up. Uh, uh, we give you a, a warm bunk because this is Montana and food. Um, and then uh, uh, some people come to do a work trade. Like I think it's something like eight weeks. If you come for eight weeks, in fact, I think it's uh, the cutoff date for this year's PDC is April 17th, if I remember correctly. And so if a boot starts on April 17th here, they can attend our PDC for free. Excellent. Um, yeah. Wow, sounds super valuable. And I bet you attract some really cool people that are all there learning together. And I, I bet y'all have quite the fun time. So maybe me and my lovely fiance should make our way up there one of these days. Um, it's a community. Of, it's a style of community. It's yeah. a, I think it's different than most styles of community, but I mean, you you definitely attract the people that are you know get work done kind of people, and yep. uh, so it's been pretty cool. That's so I I love the people that are here now. Cool, cool. They're uh, my friend Nicole Sauce. She's in Tennessee. She's close with Jack. She's going to be speaking at the event as well. She has a GSD crew, the Get Shit Done crew. I imagine <laughs> there's a lot of folks like that up there. Um, when folks, uh, we're about to let you go. When folks. Um, end up staying for long term do they do a land lease is that how it works no no um <clears throat> what we do is uh so we need to maintain the thing about either party can end this relationship at any time and so basically uh the there are people that are like i'll never go there because i could get kicked out at any time and that's unacceptable and it's kind of like you know I, I think that worked out for the best for everybody and then there's other people that come here and it's like, I understand Paul's values. I love the idea of being in a community where if somebody arrives that's not to Paul's standards or if they arrive and they are and they change to where they're not, I like the idea that that person goes down the road because that's, that's a big cancer on communities is having somebody in the community that's basically poisoning the entire community. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, how do you... You know, how do you live in a community where the, the people that are awful are somehow expelled? And how do you live in a community where that person isn't you? So uh, I, I so no, there's no lease. It's it's all set up so that you you could be asked to leave at any time. And uh, if you want a place with a lease. Not here. I don't No, That makes sense. Nobody wants to be forced into a situation and they just got to stick it out because there's some legal contract. Somebody says, I've been to Wheaton Labs. It leaves an indelible mark, and I'm looking forward to more marks. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Awesome. That is, okay, that is cool. great. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good comment. Uh, before we let you go, can you give us a teaser of what you're going to be talking about at the Exit and Build Land Summit? I, I need to ask my assistant, Ashley. I think I think that uh, the, the summit said, can Paul speak on these two things, like like as if they'd be mashed together, like permaculture and community. And community. Just and, like the book. And I said, well, what if I gave two presentations? And and they would be 
uh, one on community, like from the Permaculture Thorns book, and then one on uh, on permaculture. Although I would kind of like to get an idea what flavor of permaculture to talk about, but but I do know that my assistant has like a lot of ideas, and it's like, okay, let's get this presentation put together. So I, you're asking a perfectly valid question, and my answer is, oh. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I, we'll I, both find out soon. Yeah, I usually put presentations <laughs> together literally like the day before or a few hours before I'm about to go on. I just like the natural freestyle flow and you're feeling the audience on stuff. So we're super excited uh, that you're going to be joining us again. It's the Exit and Build Land Summit, May 13th through the 15th. You can register for free online. Watch day one and day two, no cost at all at ExitAndBuildLandSummit.com, ExitAndBuildLandSummit.com. Or you can join us in person. Uh, in Bastrop, Texas, just east of Austin, and you'll be able to shake Paul's hand and and uh, mingle with all the speakers. We're going to have a great time. All right. Thank you so much, Paul, for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, John. All right. You take care. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. All right. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Uh, we're super excited that Paul's going to be joining us along with Diana Leaf Christian, Nicole Sauce, Jack Spierko, Marjorie Wildcraft, uh, Magat Wade, all sorts of incredible speakers. We're going to be talking about homesteading, food production, permaculture, uh, governance models, decision making models, intentional community, legal structures, all the knowledge and more importantly, the inspiration and empowerment that you need to make this dream a reality. It's going to be an incredible gathering of very incredible people. And again, you can sign up at ExitAndBuildLandSummit.com, ExitAndBuildLandSummit.com. Peace and freedom. John Bush, I'm out. Bye, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.